Hello and welcome to the Thursday 905er Roundup. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And we have, as usual, our three top stories uh, for this week um, in uh, the 905, or certainly this this half of the 905. And um, some quite, uh, quite significant ones as we get closer and closer to, to Election Day. Um, and starting off with... with um, Holston Catholic District School Board, where um, two trustees, we knew a while ago the two trustees had been, um, uh, well, I'll hand it over to you, Joel, and you tell the story because sure, you've sure. got the facts at your fingertips. Yeah, so for those of you who do not know, uh, there's been trouble brewing, or, or just discontent, I should say, in the Holton Catholic Board. Um, what's ha- so what happened is early this summer uh two other trustees uh trustee Vincent Antomasi and Helena Carabella at two separate uh school special uh school board meetings were found to be in violation of the board's code of conduct for its trustees and were censured and then uh well basically trustee Antomasi has been suspended from all board meetings until November 15th uh Helena Carabello was suspended for two meetings in September, so that suspension has lifted. But for a while, we didn't know what led to that to that decision. It was a it was a report that was kept uh, locked in a drawer somewhere in the HCDSB uh, uh, files until earlier this month. The board had a meeting and voted to basically release it to the public. So now we know why those two uh, trustees were disciplined. Uh, we have the the full report on our website, so you can go and take a look at it. Um, there's a lot. To, there's too much for us to go into. It will take it too too much of, a, of this episode to go through it. But basically, uh, starting off with uh, Trustee Ian Tomasi, 25 individual events were in the report of uh, code of conduct violations. The majority of the 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 incidents were revolving around email uh, exchanges between uh, Trustee Ian Tomasi and, and Trustee Duarte, uh, who's the chair. Basically, uh, how should I put this? Uh, pe- petty grievances, uh, just just call, calling into question the competency and in, in the in the the professionalism of the chair uh, and whatnot, and um, kind kind of ridiculous ridiculousness of that way. That it just kind of you can see it just leads to a very negative working relationship uh, between uh, between trustees. But there was one thing, or sorry, there were two things that caught our eye or my eye, I should say. One uh, was an incident uh, back in, well, during the pandemic. Uh, um, so what happened was the, the there's a not-for-profit called Evidence-Based Social Enterprises Canada. The, this uh, not-for-profit, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, they did the uh, donate a mask. So basically they raise funds, buy masks, and they, help, they would help distribute masks where needed uh, during the pandemic. Uh, as I'm sure we can all agree, a vital, important role to to do to help make sure that we were all safe during the pandemic. Apparently, we don't know exactly the details, but apparently the foundation or, or the, 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 the not-for-profit reached out to the board to inquire about doing some kind of partnership, presumably, where ACDSB schools would help fundraise for this not-for-profit. Now, before this could be brought to the board for an official vote or for or, or to be discussed in a more robust manner. The executive director emailed back to the board, uh, basically saying that Trustee Ian Tomasi had called them and spoke with them for uh, on a one-on-one phone call and said that basically had to correct the usage of the word mission versus mandate, 
uh, to help vulnerable people, a bit pedantic. Uh, but then uh, basically came up to say uh, that the ECDSB cannot help them, uh, that they take direction and mass from a higher level of government, and that he, Trustee Intermassi, advised that they instead go talk to uh, their local MPP. Uh, needless to say, this basically burned that bridge between the, the board and the not-for-profit, and the board, the not-for-profit said, uh, we're just rescinding the offer. We've decided we're not going to work with you at all anymore. Uh, and this was before the board could make any decision or any real public debate on, on the matter. The second instance that caught our eye were text messages uh, between Trustee Ian Tomasi and Chair uh, Duarte that after anyone who's listened to this podcast who has sat down and watched an ECDSP board meeting, they're all on YouTube, by the way, you can, if you want to waste your time, go watch them. Often the meetings degenerate into rancor and discourse. Um, Trustee Ian Tomasi is often being called out for interrupting and speaking out of turn, uh, et cetera. And a number of text exchanges, presumably after the some of these meetings ended, he is calling out uh, trustee, our, our trustee Dorothy uh, as being incompetent or lacking understanding. Uh, quote, you're, you're, you are at disadvantage because you just don't know and don't take the time to find out slash incompetence. Me, chair, you just don't know. Please learn procedure for the benefit of HCDSB. It was one, one exchange. One that caught apparently that, that stood out to uh, Trustee Dorte was in relation to the board of Trustee Intimacy refusing to acknowledge a redacted individual's educational qualifications during a discussion at the board table. Uh, Trustee Intimacy texted to uh, Trustee Dorte, uh, here's examples of typical practices in Canada, which Trustee Dorte, uh, according to the report, took to imply uh, criticism of his or his competence in the matter due to the fact that uh, Trustee Duarte, country of birth, is not Canada. Uh, so take that as you will. Uh, all in all, it, it's a, it paints a picture of a, of a trustee who, for whatever whatever reason or not, uh, is at, at odds with his, uh, his, his counterparts on the board and with his, uh, his colleagues. Um, and as such, the board found that they should uh, discipline him the way that he, that he was. Going on to, sorry. Well, I was just going to add a quick clarification on, on that final one. I mean, we'll come on to more. We don't actually, so Trustee Ian Tomasi was talking about someone who we don't know, their name is is taken out of the report. Um, however, this, per, this person clearly was uh, not originally born in Canada, and therefore uh, the implication was that Ian Tomasi sort of just refused to acknowledge this person's qualifications because they're not, Canadian and hence the response this is how we do things in Canada being interpreted uh, and I think that that is a pretty fair interpretation um yeah I mean a very right. very troubling uh form of words anyway sorry carry on yes uh moving on to uh trustee Carabella uh her report uh is a little bit more straightforward uh and basically stems from the use of her uh e-newsletter uh to stay in touch with uh constituents essentially um, two things again stand out. There, there are numerous examples of, of emails of these newsletters being sent out, and without going into them line by line, uh, there are instances uh, documented where she calls out her trustees uh, for making disparaging remarks. Uh, particularly uh, in one instance, she calls out our fellow trustee, uh, trustee Patrick Murphy, who we, we've had on the on the uh, on the podcast before, as the when he served as the board chair. Um, 
and and questioning his Catholicity and and his uh, it, it, whether or not he gets the point. Same as uh, she calls out uh, Vice Chair Brenda Agnew uh, for essentially accusing her of plotting to remove a, a motion from the, uh, one of her, her motions from the agenda. Uh, this stems from two two things. There's one use she uses the the her her newsletter essentially to undermine the board the board's masking policy uh the the board elected in their in their meeting at the start of the pandemic to mask from jk all the way through uh, uh through through the schools every every grade in their schools would be wearing a mask uh trustee carabella in her newsletters to her her subscribers have said essentially uh, she wants to reverse that. She she thinks it's wrong, uh, uh, and and what have you. The other one reveal stems from the sanctity of life motion, which uh, was a motion back in 2018, very contentious. Without getting into the details, the end result would have been fundraising efforts in the board would basically be be ended. There would be no things like Terry Fox from MS Society, Cancer Society of Canada, all these things would end uh, due to the wording of the of the program. Uh, she brought it back to the board in this term recently in the, the past year and numerous times she's done this each time it's been voted down or removed from the agenda altogether yet she constantly seeks to say question the catholicity of the board of her fellow board members due to them voting this motion down that being said in the board in the conduct the code of conduct that she's violating you can't disparage your fellow trustees and once a decision is made at the board level it must be supported and endorsed, but may not endorse, but it has to be supported by all members of the board. Think of it like a, a federal cabinet meeting or, or provincial cabinet meeting. Once the decision is made, everyone at that cabinet table must support that decision. The time for debate and questioning is in the <clears> meeting. <throat> you can voice your concerns, you can voice your, your objections, you can vote nay on it, but once it is passed or defeated, you support the board's decision on it is basically is what the code of conduct says. And they accuse her of violating this. Um, yeah, yeah, and and on on, on that on that basis, I mean, it's cl clearly she's questioning decisions that have already been made, and clearly she, you know, there's no doubt that according to those rules, she has tr transgressed yeah. them. I mean, I think there's, there's two separate issues here. There's the the individual's concern, Trustee Carabella and Trustee Ian Tomasi, Ian Tomasi, excuse me, Ian Tomasi, uh, um, both. Um, well, intimacy is not so much of, of, of the kind of um, religious right, if you like, but certainly has, has aligned himself with that grouping more and more over, over the last four years. Um, and Trustee Carabella, no doubt, is, is, is you know, um, of a religious conservative bent, even by the standards of the Catholic school board, which is already tends to be that way inclined. I think within that, there's a, there's a slightly separate issue, which is, which I, which I think is only fair that we do bring up. And it's a re really intimacy and Carabella are irrelevant to the point I'm about to make, which is that, uh, and I've seen this at council level as well, so this is a municipal government, once a decision is made, you're not meant to question it. And I, I find that a very, really difficult thing. And it's slightly unrealistic. To, to say that you know you're a politician, you're 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 judged by by how you vote, um, and something that you may object to uh, extremely strongly, you you, you know, once the decision is made, you have to support it. And I, I get that kind of idea of collective responsibility that you have in the cabinet, but then that's party politics, and we all appreciate that in a political party, you do what the part you know the 
you have to suck it up sometimes. So I think that's difficult. And then I, I do also find it problematic. Um, I mean, it's completely normal. This is the way that elected boards and uh, boards of directors and the way that parliament works and the legislature works as well. So this is not unusual. This is not just a Halton thing. However, when you've got a small board of trustees, it is slightly uneasy. It makes one slightly uneasy to see that, you know, the 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 judge, so to speak, the person carrying out the investigation, is one of the trustees who is clearly on the other side of 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 the mm-hmm. of the field, if you like. You know, this is a very highly divided um, board, um, and we've got Councillor Duarte. Um, acting as as the investigator in one case and councillor uh, agnew acting as the investigator in another well you, you know those two are clearly not friends of these people um now it all has to be voted on by the whole board so it has to you know it has to be, have board approval before anything can happen but we know how the how the board is di- is divided it's always going to vote um in favor of of you know, it's no great surprise that, that that the that the violations of the code of conduct were found. Now, having said all that, these are clearly you know clearly outrageous behaviour going on by by these two people. I mean, I, I you know, Vince Ian Tomessi's behaviour is frankly bordering on the bizarre. I mean, the, 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 you know, some of these complaints relate to uh, in one case, uh, you know, basically the the board is trying the the staff of the board, the paid staff. I try to organise the Christmas letters out to the contacts of of the school, um, um, and so they say, you know, can can you can you send in uh, trustee intimacy? Can you send in your message so we can make it was, sure it's, it was all it's the included. trustees? It should be yeah. like they said by a certain date. Can you send in all the? We just need all your stuff in by this date, so we have enough time to collate it, put it together, format it, make it look nice and pretty, and then get it in the mail or get it emailed out, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Now, a normal reaction to that kind of thing is, sure, yeah, I'll do what I can. <laughs> Trusting in, in Tomasi's reaction, is this, this is some kind of, um, well, let, let me pull up the actual words so that I know I'm not misquoting him. Um uh, basically, um, you know, sort of like no one can tell an elected trustee what to do. Only the, you know, and, and he may be technically right, um, you know, under a strict interpretation of the law. Perhaps this is true, but it's a completely inappropriate way to ask someone who's just trying to get the Christmas email out or the Christmas letter or whatever the goodness it is. Um, uh, and, and that's just, you know, the most of the objections are things like this. So we've got someone who's just throwing a kind of hand grenade into into the business of the board constantly over tiny completely irrelevant completely stupid things and also being extremely offensive to to colleagues calling their competence into question meanwhile they're not the ones who are kind of derailing everything you know and if you've watched uh, uh, board meetings um you know to say they're derailed is an understatement i mean they are wrecked Time and time and again, by trustee Ian Tomasi, Tomasi and others. <clears throat> for some reason, I can't pronounce his name today. I apologize for that. That's just my bad pronunciation. There are, two, there, there are two essential core core tenets. Like I'm, I'm looking at when I look at the two reports. Um, I'll be honest. Helena uh, Carabella's report. I agree. It, it, there is something about her being able to, whether or not you you agree or disagree with her point of view. She's an elected official, and I, there isn't. There is something for her to be able to to send out a letter saying or an email saying, "Hey, we want I I I disagree with this point of view or, or this decision. I I I'm I I voted the way I did because of it." 
Um, but where, where I think she crosses the line in her in her email is the disparaging remarks towards uh, towards her fellow trustees. Like there is, there is something about decorum. Like you just you can say I disagree with the policy and the and the vote that was taken. I am going to I, I I this is why I voted the way I did. Nothing wrong with that in my opinion. But when you call in when you start insulting your fellow colleagues, it's petty and vindictive. And basically, the the report dealing with Vincent Ian Tomasi is basically this taken to another level. The, the, it, it, I think it paints a picture of a board that has completely fallen into rancor and discord. Like there, there is clearly no common ground in this board for these. Like, I, I don't see how these two can go back to working with colleagues and say, yeah, you know what? I, I crossed the line. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I got overzealous. My apologies and whatnot. It's very clear. Vincent Ian Tomasi does not want to work with the board. He wants to rule the board. He wants to have his way or the highway. I don't, know if it's a matter of Catholicity or, or, or whatnot. I very much looking at this is he just does he just cannot accept that he might be wrong or that somebody else has the 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 seat of power, the the chair. Like it's it's this is, these are very pedantic and very petty grievances. It's, p- p- it's pedantic to an slightly troubling level, you know, like I mean troubling as in or just eccentric. You know, this right. you know, there are people who disagree in, in government and who will try and to derail each other. Um and to an extent that's fine. That's part of the game, I guess. Um but this is, you know, no. just simply bizarre. I mean I want an example here, right? Sure. So sure. some uh trustees uh, all, all receive the same kind of emails from various groups. So one of these is OCSTA, um the Ontario um, Catholic uh trustee school trustee association. Okay, um, and, and so they all get these emails, and, and trustee intimacy would forward these on to the other trustees, and, and the other trustees sort of reasonably said, "Hey, you know, we already get these. You know, you don't have to forward them on." And you know, actually, you know, we all, I'm sure they're all very busy people. They all get lots of email. It'd be nice if we don't have to sort of spend those extra few seconds deleting them again. Kind of normal reaction is like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, of course you get them. I won't forward them anymore." Here's here's Vince's response. Mr. Chair, as a Catholic and a supporter of HC, DSV, and as elected trustees, none of us can be censured, muted, and silenced by the chair or individual trustees by asking any to refrain from disseminating information that relates to educational matters directly, indirectly, either before or after board decisions and meetings around any time. It's like, they're just asking that you don't forward emails that they're already getting. You know, it's like, this is craziness. Uh, but... Yeah. It, okay. It, so it, that, it, that's it, that, and then then we have a picture. Who... Oh like, God! Yeah, absolutely. Like how 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 does this board function when you can't like if you were if you were in a workplace and this person was doing this behavior, you know, you say, "Can you not for me?" Like I, I already get the emails. Don't forward them to me. Or can you meet this deadline? We we this is a project. This is a sign. We just need to get this done and say, "My I I disagree with the rules. I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it on my time." Because I say this is how, how I think we should do it, and we're going to do it my way, and expect everyone to bend around how you interpret the rules. No, no, no workplace would function like that. Person would be gone from that workplace in a heartbeat. Like they'd be called on the HR, and they'd be well, told, not, uh, yeah. And if they're not gone, then you have a very problematic workplace. Yes. I mean, I mean, I've, I've, met people like this over years i mean I, I think many of us will recognize i mean i think but this is an extreme case of that kind of person who just will not compromise on even the smallest thing 
not on, you know, well, to use a sort of religious example, wouldn't compromise on the number of angels you can fit on the head of a pin. Um, <laughs> it's, it's That's the kind of thing that we're dealing with here. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and coming back to Trusty Carabella, I mean, I, I, you know, she she is, I mean, again, the, what, what in their different ways, they're both derailing the business of the board with things that the board shouldn't be wasting its time on. One is, 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 you know, she is just, she's basically there to keep on moving the motion of anything, you know, to forward the, the, the so-called pro-life anti-abortion agenda at every opportunity. And the fact that it's been voted down once and voted down twice and it doesn't stop her. No, I'll just bring the motion forward. Now that in itself contravenes the, the, uh, uh, the code of conduct, but, it's also completely contrary to to what the trustees are meant to be doing, which is ensuring the good governance of schools, not pursuing their religious agendas. And I mean, of course, ultimately, this is the problem with the Catholic school system, with a religious school system under the umbrella of a state uh, taxpayer funded uh, school. Um, but yeah, but it's, and it's also a symptom yet again of, of elected trustees using these these largely powerless elected positions as as ways to further really very unpleasant agendas. In my opinion, I mean, I mean, the trustee has the right to oppose abortion, sure, but her job is to be a school trustee, not to be an anti-abortion zealot. Um, it, but that's but what the, these things, these trust, these boards have been taken over by. The core fact is, I know that these trustees are coming from this uh, 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 a place of they want to preserve Catholic education. They want to preserve the Catholicity of these schools and, and whatnot. The irony is the farther they pursue this agenda, the less slack the public will give to them. And it is only a matter of time before the public says enough's enough. We don't want Catholic schools anymore. If this is what we have to deal with. And there, I know that right now people are listening, but they have a right to it. It's in the constitution. It's not. It's the, the you one religion one religion's education system does not trump the rights to everyone else to live peacefully and free from bigotry or or whatnot. If you you cannot have a school a school funded by public tax dollars that treat, preaches bigotry against LGBTQ that denies the true horrors of uh, the residential school program that will not recognize uh the 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 history of black lives in in the in the the that unique part of our our history you can't use a word unique we're special therefore we get special treatment it won't fly right now you're holding the entire catholic education system in my opinion in this province is holding on by a thread all that matters is if a political if a government with the inclination to say we're just going to stop funding it it's elected to power. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and traditionally it was the it was the Liberal Party that were the, the the greatest sort of defenders and champions of of Catholic education. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Constitution guarantees that that uh, Roman Catholics will continue to enjoy the privileges they had before Confederation. Uh, there was no state Catholic school system before Confederation. In fact, there wasn't for for best part of. The entire history of Canada afterwards, either there were privately paid Catholic schools, so, so no one's going to ban private religious schools anytime soon, I don't think. Um, but yeah, the the whole state side of it, I, I really um, if the if... and it doesn't exist in other provinces, so it's like you know no. that. 
yeah. the precedent is there. It's a matter of public uh, public will. It, it, yeah. it, it's a, and it's already like your your the public acceptance of it is hanging by a thread already. Um, it, just, it, it, just to to re, I mean, yeah, I mean, I absolutely think, yeah, the public is is losing patience with this. I mean, there are those who will defend it to the death, or hopefully not to the death, but there are those who will defend it to extremes. But I think the number of those people are smaller and smaller. I think most parents, the greatest problems would come with Emory felt that by abolishing the Catholic, the Catholic separate Catholic school board, um, there would be a reduction in the number of total schools. And that their school, their child might have to change school, or if um, uh, they felt that the quality of education was going to drop because, you know, let's face it, most people send their child to Catholic school, and many of those are not Catholics, um, because they feel, well, you know, it's better than the local state school, uh, the local um, public school. Um, it's you're basically people are shopping around for the best school to send their kid to, and it's like, oh well, the Catholic one will do. That's that's should, not why this system is supposed to exist. Out. At the elementary level, though, it's only Catholics who can do that. Only Catholics get that privilege at the elementary level. Once you get into okay. high school, then you can then you can shop around a bit if you so wish. But by that point, you're pretty much kind of ingrained into what school system you're you're in. Then um, you know what? But that's that. You're right. I mean, that's this behavior doesn't it doesn't enamor you to anyone. It, it you're not you're not you're not ex, excelling or, or exhuming the the virtues of a Catholic education. If anything, you're making the argument to put the nail in the coffin put it in the ground and move on. And we'll see what happens on election day. We'll see we'll see if people if the Catholic voters of Burlington and Oakville want to send these two back to uh to represent them at the board. Um who knows? But you know, we'll wait we'll wait and see what happens on, on election day. But you know what? Let's call it a break there and we'll uh, we'll come back with more uh more after this. Okay everyone and we're back. Uh Looking at Mississauga, uh, which we don't, we don't we don't get a chance to talk about Mississauga often that much, and it's been kind of a quiet uh, municipal campaign uh, over Mississauga, honestly, except for last week when uh, Mississauga mayor and mayoral candidate Bonnie Crombie uh, decided to bring up the issue of Mexit again, which it basically, if you're not aware, uh, Mayor Crombie is advocating that Mississauga leave the region of Peel and become its own, the region of Mississauga, I guess, I, I, it's, its own super city. I don't know what, you, what, how, what that would entail. Single tier municipality. Right. In the, yeah, I mean, the best parallel is probably Hamilton and that Hamilton is a single tier. Um, I mean, Toronto is too, but in terms of smaller cities that operate right. this way, they do exist already. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just looking at the the report from the CBC here, um, saying you know we would control our destiny at one table. Um, That's laughable. The, the 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 new name, yeah, I think I think uh, no. If you if you listen, to this the, I think I think Fred Eisenberger might have something to say about if you, that. If you listen to this <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you know that uh, no, it, it you you don't get that power magically by leaving the regional government. I mean, in all honesty, this is this is a bit of electioneering. This is a way to get some headlines for Bonnie Crombie in an election that probably is not getting many headlines. Um, Mississauga just seems to produce boring elections um, and very static, well, certainly in the mayoral level. I mean, I think that there's a possibility of some change at the um, councillor level, um, probably the race most sort of interesting from a point of view of change is, is the one with Ron Starr, um, the councillor who got in trouble with the um, 
uh, his colleague, with well, with his car. colleague and the alleged, yeah, the yeah. alleged uh, damage to uh, his colleague's car. Um, you know, there are a bunch of challenges facing Crombie, but it doesn't really seem like there's any real suspicion that they're. they're Which makes me wonder, like, why why bring this up? You know, like, like here here's my question: the last time, last thing with anything exit in it uh, across the pond in your in your homeland, Roland, uh, it's a disaster. Why would you want to compare your plan with that plan? Brexit is a disaster. The British economy is tanking. It is not the panacea that they were sold on. Why would you want to compare your plan to that? As a just on a political uh, angle, I don't get it. But the, my question is this: What what really are you going to gain from leaving Peel region? Like, like if you think about it, what would you really gain? You've you've got you leave. You've got to now find your own garbage and waste collection and disposal. You can't just, oh, it's not as if you have a field you can just throw your, your waste and compost in uh, in, a, in our region uh, because Mississauga doesn't have any. Mississauga is completely urbanized. They've, they Last year, they, they sold the last plot of land that was developable, and it is now completely a suburban uh, sprawl land. They have nowhere to put garbage. So they, have to, they would have to develop their own garbage plan and then pay somebody to ship it to another municipality to dispose of it, which I don't think will come cheap. Uh, two, you have to develop your own public health region uh, now, which that's, that, I mean, that might be a little bit easier to do. I'll, I'll give them that one. But the last one I think is a real, uh, a real, a real tricky one is now you've got to de- uh, devise your own police service. Now, I mean, they, you, they could go hire the OPP and, and come in police, but the, the OPP is usually, a, I don't know if the OPP would be able to ramp up that quickly to cover a municipality the size of Masai. Usually a, a rural municipality hires the OPP only because they say, we just don't have the tax base to pay and maintain our own police force. Masaga would, but that's I, I, I question if that's really going to be a, a, a huge amount of savings. Police forces aren't cheap. Yeah, I mean, and it, it could well be that, well, actually, no, they, they would be, one of the options open to them would be that they they kept within peel regional police um then what's the point then then yeah then indeed what is what is the point i mean you're controlling trace i i think this is purely about grabbing some headlines and 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 job you know mission com, mission accomplished she grabs yeah, some yeah, headlines it's the only thing that's got a headline during from mississauga over the this whole thing i mean that i mean i could i don't think it makes a blind bit of difference i mean um you know in there's a sort of total pot of government dollars um that will go to various levels of government um i don't think hamilton is i certainly don't think hamilton is better governed because it's a single tier municipality i don't think holton is worse governed um because it isn't um i don't think it makes any bloody difference really it's a matter of which which you know what goes on the letterhead um you know if if you merged holton into a single tier municipality which some people thought was going to happen back in 2018 when the conservatives came in um i i think it'd be a shame from a psychological point of view for the for the individual uh communities i um and i think i think amalgamation for hamilton has come with a lot of unpleasant side effects in, in terms of uh you know exactly what you know what it meant for places meant for a kind of war between the old cities and the new cities and the, and the, and 
um, <clears throat> and the rest of it. But I don't think it really amounts to a whole hill of beans, really. Um, your total tax dollars will probably work out roughly the same. It certainly doesn't save money. Um, that was established in Hamilton as well. That the reason for amalgamation was like, we'll get, you know, economies of scale, we'll get rid of all these bureaucrats that we right. don't need. And actually, you end up spending the same or more. Um, because that's just how bureaucracy works. Um, so it's it's a non thing. I mean, I I just think it's it's yeah. Like, th there's nothing to this other than let's grab a headline. I I agree. I I think well, I mean, it was brought up. Mayor Crombie brought it up in 2019. Uh, it was previously cha cha. It was initially brought up by his uh, Hazel McCallion when she was mayor to uh, uh, to secede from from Peel. I I personally look at. I don't think it'll save money. If anything, I think it'll cost money. The, just the, the the fact of the matter when you when you exit something, when you leave something out of a a fit, right? I I'm I think we deserve better. Nine times out of ten, it ends up costing you more in the end. I, again, I go over to Brexit. That thing was supposed to save the money. It did not. It is they're still paying for it. I think Mississauga, if they left, they would still they would still cost more because it's that initial startup. You have to start up a. You have to go hire a new police chief. You have to hire uh, police officers from scratch. Like, are you are you going to tell Peel police officers, even though you might live in Minnesota, they're like, well, yeah, but their 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 pension is in Peel, their union is in Peel. They've got you know, they're they know Peel. They're okay, fine. They just patrol Brampton or Dufferin or or you know Dufferin Calendar or whatever. Like it, it's it's there's it's a lot harder than to say. Well, now I got to hire people and train people. I've got to pay for that bureaucracy i've got to to buy, find the infrastructure i got to hire the cars i got to buy the equipment the guns the bulletproof vests all that stuff well and even back. assuming that they 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 basically come to some deal with with peel whereby peel gives them half the half their equipment and half they, their staff again what's the, the, the what's the point well, and there's still and there's still a huge amount of of costs in yes. that transition from one literally buying the new letterheads for the new police service right um uh yeah I don't see. I don't see the point. I really don't see the point. I also I mean, don't see. It, it's it's just a, it's just a way of a politician saying, you know, I'm on Mississauga's side, yeah. not those bad guys from Brampton. And in this case, I'll actually take the Brampton side. It doesn't matter. The regional government is not sexy for a reason. It doesn't do anything very sexy. Yeah. It's drains and roads um, and garbage collection. I just, and, uh, but I don't understand why a a mayor so clearly out in front like Bonnie Crombie would stoop to this 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 it's a it's a that's what I'm, I'm puzzled at is that she she's not really she's not facing any serious contenders like there's nobody that you're like oh that you know they're right they're nipping at the at her heels she's got you know she's got to watch out for this person that that person doesn't everyone's like predicting that she's going to moonwalk back into the mayor's office uh because there's not really a contender there i don't i mean it, it, I, I agree with your analysis that this is just a politician kind of look at, I'm so proud of the place I live, vote for me. And, and but I, don't, I don't think actually, it's to needed. be fair, I don't, um, sorry, sorry, Joel. Uh, yeah, to a extent, I don't question her motivations. I'm sure she honestly believes that this is a good idea. I also believe at the same time that she realizes it, it that it plays well with people in Mississauga. And, and it's just, um, I don't think it's going to play very well, but I mean, I know. I mean, politicians are simple folk. Um, she's not been getting any headlines. She probably wants some. It's that simple. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Let's go back down the uh, the Kiwi all the way to uh, to Hamilton because you know one thing we, we can't be accused of wrong is not being independent. 
<laughs> we're, we're independently rude to everybody. <laughs> oh, damn right. Um, and it's Keelan Lewis's for, uh, turn this week. Yeah, yes. Um, uh, you go ahead. You, I, I start off the last two. You start this one off. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's not the primary story we're going to talk about, although it is going to come up. I mean, there was a poll today in the, in the Hamilton Spectator about um, where the uh, mayoral race is and um uh, according to uh, uh according to the, to the uh, poll um uh, i'm just putting up the numbers right here um uh, basically uh, andrea horvath is in the lead somewhat well not comfortably but in the lead by you know more than a couple of points um i believe it was eight was it yeah so, so 36 percent of voters favor um uh, Andrea Horvath, Keenan Loomis has has halved the her lead, uh, halved the gap between him and her. Uh, he's at twenty nine percent and twelve percent for Bob Bratina, and then three percent for uh, Ijaz Butt, um, which which kind of reflects. I mean, we, we were talking last week about you know our impressions and going purely on lawn signs, and it's you know um, I, I don't think this is out of step with what we said. We didn't we, we felt that. The candidates see uh, Loomis as, as the threat, and I guess that can go either direction. Either if you're in the lead, he's a threat because he's the next one, um, and if you're in third place, he's the threat because he's in second, and he's the guy you need to get past. Um, so, and it you know it reflects what you'd expect with with the much higher level of name recognition of Andrea Horvath. Um, but I mean, it, it does reiterate that Keenan Loomis has done, I think, as someone who's never run any level of government before very well to get this far um he has made the running in many ways uh, and andrea horvath has got where she is on name recognition and i don't feel much else well i i, I just want to say uh this poll confirms that we got it right first <laughs> uh i mean if we, we did we people you know we would say how do we do hamilton's going we said uh andrea's in the lead like she's 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 got that name recognition. It's it's a very strong uh, asset in her or quiver in her in her very strong arrow in her quiver, and she's using it uh, every chance she gets. So be it. But Keenan Loomis is a candidate that constantly just kind of comes out and surprises us uh, at, at, at putting together a good campaign. And we we all agreed Bob Bertino was a distant third. He was just he was an also ran uh, this time around. Now and uh, I can't I can't resist saying this as, as a former. Long-time volunteer for the Ontario Liberals, who was infuriated by the Ontario Ontario, not the Ontario, the Hamilton branch of the Ontario Liberals and their self-destructiveness. But once again, the Hamilton Ontario Liberals, who have stumped up for uh, Bob Bratina um, with Vito Scro there at the front, are heading for another ignominious defeat, just as they did with uh, in the um, provincial election. In Stony Creek, uh, just they did, did Vito Scro's own attempts to run um, at mayor and for MPP and for other levels of government. Uh, they just can't stop losing. Um, and if they'd go away, maybe some other candidates might um, have a chance. But anyway, uh, couldn't, sorry, I couldn't resist that. Um, uh, clearly. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, but what I would say is interesting to, to me is the fact that, um, you know, it, well, we praise Keenan Loomis for, you know, okay, he's coming out. He's the only candidate, honestly, I think has put forward a, a, a viable platform or something that you can really kind of look, dissect and take apart. Um, his gaffe last week was, I'm not going to say it was a, is a campaign killer. Clearly it wasn't. But I, I think it, it, it did so inkling in 
Hamiltonian's eyes of, you know, is, is this guy uh, right for prime time yet? Uh, and by that, I mean, he had a, a gaffe in the press where he essentially was saying, suggesting that uh, the social housing should be um, uh, basically uh, almost sold off or, or that a, a, another, agent, another agency should be covering it. He since has kind of recanted that and he said it was a, it was a miss quote or, or miss misstatement on his on his part um, yeah he, no, he didn't yeah I mean, he didn't deny the di- deny the statement he just said he's he said it at the end of a long day and it's not what he actually thinks so yeah I, th- so i think that was thursday uh yeah it was a bad day for keenan loomis uh, and his campaign there was that and also the story that um back in i mean back in the midst of time when when uh, uh um uh, Michelle Obama came to Hamilton uh, as as a guest of the of the Chamber of Commerce. Um, uh, Loomis reacted badly to an article that questioned mm-hmm. why he was the interviewer at the event um, and went to the YMCA and sort of personally complained. Um, I mean that 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 yeah that was dumb. I mean and and again to be fair he he doesn't deny it was dumb. I mean it's a damned if you do and if you're damned if you don't. If you're as a candidate, we want our candidates to. Admit their mistakes and to be willing to learn and also to be less guarded and and to you know be less guarded about policy and maybe throw some ideas out there which which aren't great however you know in the minute, the minute someone something comes up there's quite a long way in the past in which the people involved you know the people involved on the receiving end of his his comments at the ymca didn't particularly want brought up was the impression i got we pile on and say oh well you know this proves that he's now I don't want to downplay either of these these things. I mean, I, I I don't think it's a very good excuse at all to say it's the end of a long day. Um, and suddenly I came up with this this kind of policy. And it's like, yeah, really. Um, and and there's going to be a lot of long days when you're in government, you know. Um, and, and going down. I mean, I don't care how inexperienced and young you might be. I, I'd never got in my car and gone down somewhere to harangue someone about an opinion they have about me. Um, I, I usually would agree with them <laughs> rather um but you know so, so it's not good I mean, and i do feel that all three all three of the leading candidates all three candidates with even an outside chance of winning here um have serious questions about them in very different ways um loomis is the inexperienced one um uh and the he's the person we know least about um mm-hmm. andrea horvath just you know well she's she's a known entity and that's almost the bad thing right and um uh, uh and bob Bertina, well kind of the same i guess um so that, you know there's no perfect candidate and we shouldn't really expect there to be a perfect candidate i actually think i mean i tried to sort of make a positive statement on twitter last week it's like well there are three good there are three candidates and even though bob Bertina's policies and the way he's running his campaign not my cup of tea despite that i would say he is a candidate of significant standing and he deserves respect some respect for that all three of them these are three good candidates to choose from and they're all quite different i mean you can't say they're all the same um and it has made uh, an interesting campaign and i think that some of the heat and um, even vitriol that we're seeing between the kind of supporters of the various camps now kind of speaks to that 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 the people are getting passionate and, and involved in in their campaigns and they I, think strongly about it and that's a good thing I'll say this about this campaign is it's definitely been a more, one of the more interesting ones. I would say if Keenan Loomis is, is listening, like he's got to 
he's got to he's got to treat this as the as the city's first impression of him of himself. Like this is no, no as much as he, he's he's relying he's relying on the chamber of commerce background uh, to to uh, as much as he's running on the chamber of commerce stuff to to back him uh, on this. Not everybody is familiar with that. Not everybody. It, it's a good resume builder, but small gaps like this can they so doubt in people's minds. And I think that's what you're seeing in the in the polls. I feel like, well, okay, people might say, well, I don't necessarily like Andrea, um, but I know what I'm getting with her, and that's the, that's enough. The other thing, in that poll, and I just remembered this uh, having re- read it, that Andrea's support is among the young and kind of the downtown, um, meaning like now. It's an interesting coalition to make. Keenan Lumis's support seems to be a bit more widespread around the city, and deals with a lot more of the the uh, I don't want to say elderly, but like the the more you know older older crowd and more well to do, and definitely in the in the suburban pockets of Hamilton. I find that's going to be an interesting dynamic in terms of how the city elects itself, uh, elects its new uh, mayor, only because Andrew Horvath, if she's relying on the young people to come out and vote, they don't. That's that's the thing. Like, I, I they'll say, yeah, I really want so and so to win. Are they going to make the time to go down the polls? It, 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 there's only one. There's only one politician in the history of the world that got elected on the basis of young people it was Barack Obama, I believe, in this first his first election. Oh, and the the young people didn't show up in the second one because they felt they got burned. So you know that it's it's a it'll be an interesting di- dynamic to watch on election night to see who, whose coalition gets out first. Uh, first to the polls because yeah. i mean it's an interesting point now whether loomis tries to pivot to go after protina votes uh and to basically say you know i'm the compromise candidate okay you would have wanted protina i mean there are a lot of particularly amongst the more senior uh, end of the spectrum particularly in the suburbs who will never vote for andrew horvath because of the ndp association and they're just not on board with that Right, you're wrongly. It's just I'm not saying I'm not endorsing that point of view. I'm just saying that's that's the thing. <clears throat> um, but they might vote for for Loomis rather than Pratina if they think Loomis has a chance. Um, you know, and this is where ranked ballots would be a great thing, wouldn't it? Because ranked ballots would give everybody a chance to say oh, yeah. who's your second choice. And I think, um, yeah, that that would be really really interesting in this election. Um, but we don't have that possibility. Um, I mean, I think what what is very clear is it's not going to be a matter of Bettina coming up in the middle on a split vote or anything like that. It's between Loomis and Horvath. And and again, I'm going to reiterate that's kind of a good thing. That those, you know, I th- I think there's a lot of good in both both candidates' platforms. Um, and both in different ways do represent a fresh start for Hamilton, and that again is a good thing. I think if Bettina had won, um. That that would have been the most depressing outcome, you know. And we're speaking very soon. I mean, if he comes, some miracle happens and he wins on election day. But I don't see that happening. It's, it's very far out at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you know, a, a, as people get more and more heated on behalf of their particular candidate, just bear in mind this is a good result for Hamilton uh, with the two people who are in the lead at the moment. You know what? Let's leave it at that for uh, this episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow, uh, not, next week. Sorry, next week with uh, more 905. That's it for this episode of the 905-er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, 
info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>